Welcome to Seismic Airwaves, a podcast about disasters centered on earthquakes based in Portland, Oregon. I'm Chad Tucker. In this bonus episode, I talk to Sarah Iannarone, who is running for Portland City Mayor in the upcoming November election. And I ask her the same set of questions that we asked Mingus Maps in episode 19, as well as Chloe Udaly in a recent bonus episode. A quick heads up about this episode is that during production, we had some technical difficulties with the recording, which despite our best efforts in editing, it can still be a little hard to hear Sarah at times. So we apologize for the inconvenience, but we hope that you still enjoy the episode. All right. Well, to start us off, can you introduce yourself and maybe a little bit why you're running? Sure. Uh, My name is Sarah Iannarone. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am running for Portland mayor. This is a critical election for our city. We are looking at four years of missed opportunities, in my estimation, under leadership that is pretty out of touch with urban sustainability best practices, effective grassroots coalition building, and really figuring out how we're going to harness our resources, empower our communities, and really face everyone in the city in the same direction, addressing some of our biggest challenges. I see it as a question of whether people want more of the same or change. It really is a a mandate on taking the city in a different direction, but also whether or not we want a new style of leadership, progressive leadership grounded in community, powered by, you know, small donors and really leaning into and living our progressive reputation as opposed to just glossing over some of the severe inequalities and structural inefficiencies in Portland and thinking differently about how we're going to govern our place for a better future. Well, in keeping with like how the city has been run, how would you grade the city's response thus far to the many hazards that have come to us in the year 2020 and briefly explain uh, why that grade is? Uh, C. And I'll give us a C for a couple of reasons. It's giving a C when you know you have an A student. We have done as well as any democratic city under COVID. You know, we had CARES money coming in. We have an engaged community. We have a collaborative governance model, largely. But the question I would ask is, what could we have been doing better that we're not? Uh, In 2016, when I ran, I actually proposed an Office of Community Resilience I wrote a white paper uh, for then mayor-elect Ted Wheeler that was called Sustainable Governance for the 21st Century, uh, City of Portland Office of Community Resilience. What that proposed was taking up the Rockefeller Foundation on a $100,000 grant to hire a chief resiliency officer. It would have helped us address some of the neighborhood association issues that Commissioner Udaly grappled with through the 3.96 code change. The principle behind that was that resilient cities are prepared with empowered, connected communities to face the challenges of of increasing uncertainty. And I feel that if we'd had that in place when COVID arrived, we would have been much better mobilized more quickly so that we could have used our resources more efficiently. Another thing that I proposed in 2016 when I ran for Portland mayor that the incumbent mayor never adopted a very good idea was having a chief business officer for small business and entrepreneurship right in the Portland mayor's office who was able to coordinate 
small business resources, not just from the city, but around the region and state. Um, make sure that technical assistance is available and make sure that capital assistance is available. I even proposed a storefront with that. So making sure there was a one-stop shop for people needing help. What we saw immediately when COVID came was small business community in chaos. Uh, the mayor had to convene like a hundred person economic task force in the middle of a crisis. This is a podcast about disaster preparation. We don't want to be building disaster response structures in the middle of a crisis. Disaster preparation means you have them built before the crisis. And so those are two examples of how, if we'd had those in place, I think it's possible for a city like Portland to get an A, but because we didn't, I'll give us a C. All right. So people also want to know like how we can build equity into emergency management and particularly with black indigenous and people of color communities they're overburdened from the impacts of disasters and emergencies so what actions do you see that are available to local government to support resiliency for people of color people with disabilities and other groups who have been underserved one of the reasons that i proposed an office of community resilience was the equity question we look at you know, the discriminatory practices of urban development in our city, whether that's gentrification and displacement, housing costs, rising housing costs in the housing crisis, access to transportation or even food security, access to childcare. And we understand that even day-to-day life is a lot harder for BIPOC Portlanders and low-income Portlanders. But when you think about what we need to do to prepare for the future, whether that's a short-term disaster like a fire or a flood or the long-term disaster of global warming, I thought, again, a lot of this work is coming out of the Rockefeller Foundation's Resilient Cities model, but if we could make disaster preparedness actually a locus of civic engagement along with a healthy democracy in our city, then what you're able to do is be inclusive by definition. Because when you think about this at the block level, regardless of who is on my block, whether they're immigrant or someone whose family has been here for generations, regardless the first language they speak at home, their socioeconomic status, their religion, uh, their race, their nation of origin, if they're prepared, they're prepared, and if they're not, they're not. And so the act of preparing for disaster is inherently inclusive. And when we think about it in those ways, when we think about the fact that everybody needs a number they can call when they're in trouble, that's an inclusive framework. When we think about making sure every household is prepared, that's an inclusive framework. When we make investments in urban infrastructure, that's an inclusive framework because we know who benefits when you have mass transit that's accessible and functioning, when you have municipal broadband that every household can have access to, when you have even access to the ballot, right? These are inherently inclusive activities that we could actually make investments in for the good of the whole that would have an equalizing effect on our city. I also think it's important through this framework to look at how social cohesion will be our first responder against things like the incursion of white nationalism. Not everyone makes this connection, but I very strongly do. We have seen local law enforcement that often is more closely, has a stronger affinity potentially towards the alt-right than it does towards people who are working on issues of social justice. This is something that's pretty well known in law enforcement around the US. 
if you're looking at how we prepare our communities, even against outside incursions from militia and paramilitary organizations, if we can't trust local law enforcement to protect us, if we have society that's prepared for whatever disaster is coming our way, then you're able to mobilize those resources in times of social upheaval as well. What does it mean to have community safety hubs? Well, those could be deployed in times of crisis where vulnerable Portlanders could go so that they would feel safe regardless of what the situation was in the streets. Um, we saw it in the wake of the wildfires, again, where um, we had communities stepping up uh, to help each other even when some other responses either were working in parallel or not necessarily keeping up. So the social cohesion that we create and invest in, in response or in preparedness for pending disaster, I believe is something that we can tap into as a resource for a lot of issues that come up day to day. It's a, it's a framework you don't hear talked about a lot in municipal governance, but I think it's one that we should really be thinking about pretty closely. With budgetary changes to the police department funding, like how do you see public safety in general changing in Portland in the next few years then? Well, my Rethinking Public Safety Plan, which people can find at sarah2020.com along with all these policies are available there, is pretty groundbreaking insofar as we released it many months prior to George Floyd's tragic murder and the current civil rights uprising uh, that we're so fortunate for young people leaving for us in the streets and in other ways. But what that called for was a few things demilitarization and drawing down the hyper militarized uh, parts of the portland police budget in particular decriminalization so decriminalizing human condition of being unhoused of suffering from addiction of being impoverished and making sure that what we were investing in was proven community-based solutions to our biggest problems it's not about defunding the police per se. It's about divesting from wasteful spending that doesn't truly help keep people safe and investing in things that we know keep people safe. I'll give you an example. We actually do not have a very good record in Portland police when it comes to rapes. Like the solve rate for rapes is about 12% from Portland police. We also have a serious issue of uh, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls being trafficked along the I-5 corridor. At the same time, we criminalize certain sex work, consensual adult sex that people engage in for commerce. And my thinking in the decriminalization part of that platform is if we're not criminalizing consensual adult behavior and instead instead focusing our resources on preventing violent sexual assaults um, and human trafficking, that's how you rethink public safety. You look at where are the true victims of violence in your community, what are the behaviors that maybe are criminalized now, whether it's uh, sitting on a sidewalk or sleeping on a t- in a tent out of doors or engaging in consensual adult sex for money, that we can start to rethink even how we do public safety in our city. So it's just one concrete example of how I think things can change through demilitarization, decriminalization, and community investment framework. So Portland is known for its unique governance structure which leans heavily on bureaucratic processes and can create silos, as you are most likely aware. Open and collaborative communication is key to developing and implementing an effective and equitable emergency management program. So how would you improve inter-bureau coordination? And and what do you see as the role of neighborhood associations and smaller scale networks? And how does the city council fit into that? I mean, that's 
honestly what an office of community resilience would be all about right when you look at how the obstacles that we face to preparedness they cross the bureaus what the role of civic life pbem emergency communications um, even the planning bureau how do we all work together to prepare households right and when our urban core is potentially much more devastated from say a seismic uh, event than east portland will be what does it mean for us to make big investments in east portland potentially even as the second financial center as a, as a downtown number two a polycentric municipality even as we're trying to engage in a polycentric regional development model um, migration making sure that people will have access to fair housing prices across our city is something that we don't always connect with preparedness but making sure people are actually in safe housing um, is something that's going to be very important and so that's a cross bureau effort and having a coordinating body to bring people together is really important in the commission form of government and so what i'm going to do is have someone on my staff who who fills that role the way that i'm going to staff the portland mayor's office should i be elected we probably haven't seen anyone staffing up like I'm planning to since maybe Sam Adams, but I'm really gonna have a focus on making sure that we have people who are there to deal with tasks that cross bureaus. So I'm not gonna have a liaison to the Transportation Bureau. I'm gonna have a person who leads on mobility, justice, and safe streets. I'm not just gonna have a, a liaison to the Planning Bureau. I'm gonna have someone who's leading on urban development. I'm gonna have a lead for climate action, a lead for families and communities, and there is going to be a community resilience lead in my office. So even if I don't have all of those bureaus, it's that person's job to check not only what's going on across the city, right? Because this is the other thing that people forget about in Portland. Our third sector, the nonprofit NGO sector, does a lot of work, not just in our city, but in our region and state, like a lot more sometimes even than other places that like say Pittsburgh or Cleveland where they have a huge philanthropic sector that helps them with some of their most pressing social problems. Here in Portland, it's the nonprofit sector. And so making sure that we have someone inside city government who's liaisoning with, with the nonprofit sector, even healthcare organizations, so that all of the resources are coordinated is gonna be so critical because we're facing concentric sets of emergencies with various degrees of urgency right now, that I believe that's a better model of governance than just having liaisons in my staff to various bureaus. bureaus. If I want report backs from the bureaus, I can just get one from the director of the bureau, right? So I think that's a different governance style that I, that I present that, that Mayor Wheeler hasn't, hasn't expressed a desire to do or demonstrated that he would do in the last four years. So I'm excited about the opportunity to do that should I be elected. Well, and then if you were elected and you as mayor and you took on the head of the Portland Bureau of Emergency Management and the Bureau of Emergency Communications, uh, what would your top priorities be for those bureaus? I actually think that we probably should think about a public safety lead where we have the, the public safety bureaus, PBEM and BOAC coordinated under a single commissioner. I think we do need to do some bundling of the bureaus under certain commissioners just for that coordinating function. Whether or not a, that would have to be one or two commissioners is something we would have to discuss. I want to I want to build some strong community on the front end and really co-create these bureau assignments with uh, the various city commissioners because we're going to have a lot of new people. Whether or not you daily or maps wins that race, you'll still have Rubio 
and Ryan, mm-hmm. who are new, and Joanne's only been on council for two years. So I really think the most important thing is asking the public this question, what are you afraid of? And who do you call when you need help? If we can start to answer that question for every Portlander, I believe we'll be on better track to address some of the more pressing concerns with regard to disaster preparedness and and community um, preparedness, because that's part of the public safety question, but it's also part of the emergency preparation question. I don't know that there's consensus in our city of who you're supposed to call when you're in trouble. Too many BIPOC Portlanders can't call 911. I know too many people who are unhoused who try to call 211 and it doesn't work. I don't think our city is there yet on 311. Um, How are we using technology? Um, I know that there are some apps. Uh, Tel Aviv has a pretty good working model, but we saw the last time our city had a citywide push notification, I think was for the curfews in the wake of George Floyd's murder. But I didn't see us during COVID. It's not like we were getting push notifications during COVID. Where are your testing sites? Where are your uh, emergency sites? So these are the kinds of things I think we want to work on from the jump and coordinating those activities in that process for the rethinking of public safety is going to be critical. But we have to make sure people understand that it's about not just keeping people safe from violence, but harm in all forms, right? Community destabilization, uh, family violence, intimate partner Mm -hmm. violence, things like that. So if we all did one thing to prepare, what would it be? Uh, Jim Weisgram, who's my net coordinator on the Mount Scatterlita Neighborhood Association with me, is probably going to kill me if he hears this answer. He like keeps us all in check with regard to getting prepared. But I really think the most important thing people need to do is get to know your neighbors. I am a firm believer in that principle that social cohesion will be our first responder. When I've been in need, you know, it's... It's that neighbor who you may not have known before, but you get sick and suddenly there's a dozen eggs on your porch. Or the more you get to know your neighbors as human beings across ideological divides, the barriers between those start to fall down. It's a lot harder to hate someone you know. So the block party, host the block party, get to know every person. I know you can do it. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's scary. You might even get rejected, but it doesn't matter. It's totally worth the risk. If there's any risk we should be assuming right now, it's the risk of building community. Thank you very much, Sarah. I think that's the questions that we have. Um, It was really great speaking with you. Thanks for having me, and thanks for hosting such a great podcast. I'm really excited about being part of it. Again, that was Sarah Iannarone, who is running for Portland City Mayor in the upcoming November election. Check out the main content for episode 19 to hear the same questions posed to Mingus Maps, as well as the bonus episode that we recently did with Chloe Udaly. For more content about resilience, disasters, and Portland, Oregon, check out the Seismic Airwaves podcast, which you can find on all major platforms. Our website, seismicairwaves.com, and on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Seismic Airwaves. I'm Chad Tucker. Thanks for listening. Take care.